Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. Sometimes being a Christian can be a very lonely experience. This is easy to recognize when we spend time on our job or we spend time with our family and we discover that people just do not share the same beliefs that we have. And so when we engage with them, sometimes there is a limitation with regards to what we can actually talk about just because we don't have that much in common. Finding things that we do have in common with other people becomes of greater importance just because if you want to have a relationship of any kind with anybody, you need to have something in common with them in general so that you can encourage each other with regards to your common beliefs or attitudes or the things that you find to be important. But when you engage with the world, it's very easy to notice that for the most part, the people in the world do not believe in God, they do not believe in the Lord Jesus, or even if they do, they certainly don't believe in God or the Lord Jesus in the same way that you do. And so finding commonality in that regard, especially when it comes to a subject like this, becomes very difficult and yet has great importance because of the implications of the beliefs that we truly have in terms of the relationship that we can experience with the living God or the amount of peace and rest that we experience in our own lives or how we do end up relating to other people on the basis of what we believe is right and wrong. All of these issues tend to separate people from each other, which can make situations much more tense when people are trying to come together and experience some friendship with one another. And so to deal with this, quite often we as Christians will believe that the solution will be something like to go to church. It's very popular to assume that if you feel a little bit lonely as a Christian, then you just need to go to a church in order to experience some fellowship with other Christians who obviously will be feeling the same way, or at least you would think that they were, and they would be there waiting for you to arrive so that you can experience some mutual friendship and fellowship with one another. But what's very interesting as you go and visit various churches, what's very interesting is you can easily find that in most cases people are there for very different reasons. People are not always there for the purpose of knowing their God or growing in their relationship with him. In most cases, people are there for different reasons. They are usually there in order to acquire some business contacts, either looking for a job or for a sale. They are often there for the purpose of having some kind of social experience with other people in the context of having a type of community. But this is about having relationships with other people not necessarily growing in or having a relationship with their God. Many churches are evaluated on the basis of the quality of their music program, their praise and worship service, their band, effectively. Many churches are evaluated in that context, regardless of what is actually being taught from the pulpit. Most people are looking to be entertained on a Sunday morning, and the quality of the music or the type of music that is presented is often that which binds people together during this time because they all agree on or appreciate the music that is being presented. 
So people are there for different reasons. They're looking for a job. They're looking for business contacts. They're looking to be entertained, which is probably the most common reason. Sometimes people are going to church because they're looking for a husband or a wife. They're looking for a spouse. They're looking to make new friends, but not necessarily on the basis of what people believe, just simply trying to find good people to have a social encounter with. And so people will normally be at church for different reasons. And in most cases, they're not really there for the reasons that they tell you that they are there for. I have found that for those who are going to church for the purpose of being what we call fed, which means that they will be learning about the scriptures, they will be learning about this relationship that they are supposed to have with their God. In most cases, people like that don't normally make it more than two or three years before they leave that church and go to another one. And I'm not saying this to be condemning. I'm just saying this on the basis of personal experience, that this is the traditional approach that many people take, is that they will go to a church hoping with great expectation that they will grow in their knowledge and understanding of the living God. But after a couple of years, they come to realize that while it was advertised that that would be the case, it turned out to be false advertising because it never happened. And so people will quietly leave and they just go to another church on Sunday mornings with the hope and expectation that perhaps their experience there may be very different. And so when you consider all of these things all combined into one big package, it can be easy to see how many Christians can feel alone. And what I mean by that is Christians who really want to grow in their relationship with their God and also want to experience some fellowship with other like-minded believers, other people who share their common beliefs. Because regardless of what their beliefs are, like I said, in most cases, when we gather together, we're gathering together for different reasons, not always because of our common beliefs. Now, of course, there are exceptions to everything that I've just said. I'm only speaking in generalities. There are congregations of people that exist because of a certain philosophical or theological perspective on the scriptures. People do assemble for that reason, and with the common beliefs that they do have, they experience a great deal of fellowship with each other. But in general, these turn out to be very small groups, small congregations that will generally meet in people's homes or at a restaurant, or some other place besides what you would consider to be a church. It's very difficult, like I said, to actually build a real organization or a church on the basis of common beliefs, because again, in most cases, people are going to church for different reasons. And in most cases, those reasons do not have anything to do with the actual beliefs that are being promoted there in that particular congregation. And so out of this loneliness that we as Christians, we tend to feel... There's a great deal of excitement that we experience when we do finally encounter someone who does have the same values that we have. And what I mean by that is that they value the same beliefs that we value. They value the relationship that they have with God in the same way that we value our relationship with our God. It can be a very exciting moment when we finally do encounter someone, anyone for that matter, that we can spend time with without being on guard with regards to what each other believes, but just simply be able to relax and enjoy the peace that we have with each other, that we can share with each other, that has its foundation with the peace that we have with our God. And so it's very common for a Christian to find themselves in a situation where it is unusual for them to have more than two or three or four or five at the most 
people in their lives that they can have fellowship with, that they can experience a sense of friendship with, where they can feel a bond with someone else. It's very unusual to have more than just a handful of people in your life at any given time that you can spend time with and not feel so alone. I can certainly say this in my own life, that for the first 10 or 15 years of my growth and my relationship with the Lord Jesus, I never had more than two or three people in my life at any given time that shared the beliefs that I shared, that believed the same things that I believed. I did try to reach out to other people, but there was always a limit in terms of what kind of friendship we could actually experience just because of these barriers with regards to what we really did believe and how we really did depend on or rely on the Lord Jesus. Because of those differences, it was very difficult not to feel alone and even on some occasions to feel depressed because all these other Christians that I knew of, they had hundreds or thousands of people that they could share commonality with, or at least that was how it looked to me. And yet for myself, it was only a small handful throughout most of my life. It was very easy on many occasions to actually feel envious of other Christians and to feel depressed because I felt so alone just because my beliefs were so unique and different from everyone else's. But what I believed, I really believed was true, and I still do. I have not had any significant change in my beliefs since I grew to understand the differences between law and grace about three and a half years after I was saved while I was in the synagogue. And so how do we deal with that? How do we really deal with the sense of loneliness that we often feel? Well, we can just try to find more people. We can do that and And if we do that, then chances are we will. If you reach out more in your free time, you probably will find maybe four or five instead of two or three. And depending upon people's schedules, you might be able to get everybody together at one time. It's difficult to say. But again, when we live our daily lives, we certainly shouldn't look at that as being the objective. The objective in the sense of trying to get as many people as possible so that we look like some other group or some other church so that perhaps we may be able to esteem some credibility of some kind, because we have a church just like other people have a church. That certainly is not the case. And for the most part, people know that. And so in order to find some sense of consolation, or to find some sense of peace in the midst of this feeling of loneliness, what people will often do is turn to Matthew chapter 18. Because in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gives a very interesting statement. He says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. And it's very easy to read this and feel very encouraged by it, to say, well, as long as we have two or three, then Jesus is in our midst. And we can be thankful for that, we can be encouraged by that, and we can continue to grow in our relationship with Christ Jesus, because at least we're meeting this criteria. But what can be very deceptive about this is that we can assume that you have to have two or three people together for him to be in our midst. But we know that that is not the truth. However, it's very easy for us to live our lives or have our attitudes shaped by that belief where we feel like there has to be at least two or three. And sometimes when we would gather together, we'll say things like, isn't it great that at least we have two or three? This means that we've met the minimum requirements that Jesus has proclaimed. At least we've done that. We're still moving forward in our lives. And we certainly know that that's not really true. Even if we are by ourselves, the Lord Jesus is still in our midst. And if we were to take it to the other extreme, he says two or three are gathered together. 
Well, what happens if there's four or five or six or seven or maybe even ten or twenty? Well, he's still going to be in our midst then as well. That certainly is going to be the case. And so when we read this, we don't have to think of this as a requirement to say that it's necessary to have two or three gathered together in order to have some fellowship with us. But the reason why we know that is because the Spirit of God already indwells within us and testifies to us that that is the case, that he is with us whether we have more than one or two people in our lives at any given time that we can experience some fellowship with. He is still in our midst, and we can be thankful for that. But for the disciples who he was speaking to, they did not have the presence of the Holy Spirit within them. They were not resurrected from the dead. They were not alive spiritually. The Lord Jesus was not always in their midst, and certainly the manifestation of our God as the Holy Spirit was not always in their midst at that time. And so they're not going to easily be able to relate to that. And instead, what they are actually going to be dealing with is the social pressure of that time. Just as we have social pressure in our time, that there's the expectation that you have to have somewhere between one and 300 people gather together on Sunday morning in order to say that you're actually a part of anything, back then, during the time of the Lord Jesus, this was also the case. There was a great deal of social pressure with the synagogues to have not one or 200 or 300 people or 1,000 people, but you had to have 10 people. That was how they looked at their relationships with each other and their relationship with their God to the extent that people believed that if you did not have a minimum of 10 people gathered together, in general 10 men, then their God would not be in their midst. That it was necessary for them to have a congregation of people and a congregation of an acceptable size for their God to be in their presence. Otherwise, They would have to wait until they did get enough people together, and so they would be able to draw the Lord's attention, God's attention, and see that, oh, there's this gathering over here. I better go down there and check things out. That was the kind of attitude that people were generally having in the synagogues during the time of the Lord Jesus. First of all, because of the social pressures of not wanting to be alone, but also because of the desire, the determination of the Pharisees to actually have a congregation of people in order to validate their beliefs in order to encourage one another, in order to fill the space that they would build in terms of a synagogue. Today, building construction is very different. We can build huge buildings to house an incredible amount of people. But back then, the technology was not quite as sophisticated within the Judaic circles of influence. People were not building mega synagogue centers and campuses and things like that. It was just a simple building that could house a number of people but certainly not several hundred people without it becoming very difficult for people to be in there. And so just as we may spend time thinking about how we can get together a lot of people so that we can feel validated in our faith, they also felt the same way. It was a very similar thing, that people felt that the more people that they got around them, the more validated they would feel in terms of their own beliefs. So when Jesus presents this idea of where two or three are gathered together, then he will be in their midst, that actually was a very powerful philosophical paradigm shift that the Lord Jesus is presenting to the disciples. Because the paradigm of thought in Pharisaical Judaism, which was the predominant faith in the time of the Lord Jesus in this area of the world, Pharisaical Judaism was definitely it. 
just as we think of modern Christianity today. To them, the the Pharisaical model, the Pharisaical paradigm, was that you had to have at least ten people together, not two or three. And there was a lot to that. There was a lot of meaning behind that. The Pharisees did not just pluck this number ten out of nowhere. They actually derived this belief out of their determination to try and define what a congregation would be and ensure that they would be meeting together as a congregation, per se. They went into the scriptures and they found a number of passages in the scriptures that helped them define what a congregation should be or how many people should be included in a congregation. For example, in Genesis chapter 18, when Abraham was speaking with the Lord about Sodom and Gomorrah, appealing to the Lord, asking him not to destroy the communities, he negotiated with the Lord down to ten people, that if the Lord could find at least ten righteous people, then the Lord would not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Also in Numbers chapter 14, verse 27, the Lord defines a wicked and evil congregation of people. When the spies returned from spying out the land of Israel, they came back. Two of them said that they could go in and take the land, but ten said that they could not take the land. There were a number of people who took sides with the ten spies who had returned, and based on that number ten, the Pharisees said that a congregation is defined as ten or more people. And when you get ten or more people gathered together, then the Lord our God will be in the midst of that congregation. That was the philosophical belief with regards to a congregation. And so when Jesus says two or three are gathered together, then this has a lot of meaning to the disciples based on their presumptions that were taught to them by the Pharisaical leaders who they had teaching them before the Lord Jesus came on the scene. Now, the number 10 and the idea of a synagogue being a minimum of 10 people had a lot more meaning than just that. For example, when the Pharisees would go out and they would establish a synagogue in the Gentile world out of their desire to reach out to the Gentiles, to minister to them and draw them in so that perhaps they might be converted to the God of Israel, converted to Judaism, they would always send out a minimum of ten Pharisees, of ten men who would build a congregation. This was their evangelistic model. It was a model of going out into the foreign world They would go out into that area with a congregation, actually bring a number of people out there, and with ten people or ten families, they could construct their own relatively self-sufficient community. And then their evangelistic model was to try to draw people in to their community because their community already existed, And they would draw people in because they would see the success of the community. They would see how the community was being blessed because of their repentance and obedience. And they would want to draw people in to become a part of the social experience, to become a part of the community, a part of the society. And they would find it very easy to add one person to ten than it would be to try to take one or two people or three people try to set up a synagogue as a community, and then try to add one or two to one or two people. It's very difficult to do that because, like I said, people can often feel validated by large numbers of people instead of by small numbers of people. It's much easier for people to assimilate within a community that already exists than to try to encourage them or ask them to actually begin a community. 
that was the Pharisaical model of evangelism. And of course, it's very similar to the church model of evangelism. Many people believe that we have to set up a church with a fairly large number of people. And then once we have an established church, then we can start adding people to the church one at a time to gradually build the church. And that becomes the evangelistic model that most people are using. And, of course, it is effective. People do come to these congregations, and sometimes they stay. Most of the time they go. Those who stay will stay for, in general, the same reasons why those people are there. And what I mean by that is that it usually has to do with the community itself or the music program or the other programs, the social experience, because people share common philosophical or political ideas, because people can feel like they're a part of something and so they don't feel alone, regardless of what is actually being taught there. In general, that's very secondary to why people are actually there. So likewise in the synagogue, people were not normally there for the purpose of wanting to know their God. In general, people were there because they wanted to be blessed, like the other Pharisees were being blessed. They were wanting to have more success in life. That was how it was advertised. The spiritual aspect became a secondary issue, and people would normally have to subscribe to that if they were going to survive in the synagogue for very long, that's for sure. But still, what I want you to see is that this was the evangelistic model, and the model was based on building a community of people and then drawing people in and assimilating them into the community. But when Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, that where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst, I believe that Jesus presents a very different philosophical paradigm by saying this. A very important paradigm, and that is that when we engage with the world, we should not be thinking about how to build a community like the Pharisees did to try to assimilate people within the community. And then maybe, maybe because of other social pressures, they might decide to repent and obey God. No, I don't think that's what he's referring to. I believe that when he said this, he was changing their paradigm of thought to say no longer are you to try to live your life by assimilating people into your beliefs. But instead, consider gathering together as one or two people, and when you do that, then you will find that because you cannot sustain yourselves in your own community with only two or three people, you have to go out and infiltrate or engage or become a part of the other communities that already exist in the world. Now, this is not for the reason of you trying to assimilate within them so that you can conform to their beliefs or so that you can conform to their theologies. No, instead, this is so that you can go in and engage with people and bring the message of the gospel to them where they are and the situations that they are in. Not to go out to try to bring them into a new community, but instead to go out and infiltrate the world, infiltrate the world's community bringing me with you to them instead of trying to get them to come to you so that they can meet me. I sincerely believe that that is what he is introducing to the disciples here. And we know that this is much more biblical, to use that word, than the current models that we tend to utilize in Christianity today. What is much more effective is when we go out to where people are instead of trying to get people out of where they are to us. It is when we bring the Lord Jesus to them that they have a greater opportunity 
to meet the Lord Jesus than when we try to draw people to us with hope that once they come to us, then by default, maybe they'll encounter the Lord Jesus. This is a very different approach, and I sincerely believe that this is what the Lord Jesus was introducing to the disciples when he brings this up to them, as described in Matthew chapter 18. And through this, I personally, in my own life, I experienced a greater form of encouragement. Instead of trying to think of my life as how am I going to get a lot of like-minded people assembled around me, instead I began to live my life. When I saw this in this context, I began to live my life in terms of how can I go out and be of service to other people? How can I go out and reach out to where people are and perhaps be of service to them and share with them the message of the gospel so that they can have an opportunity to have a personal experience with the Lord Jesus? To go and reach out to them where they are instead of trying to draw them into me where I am. And when I did that on occasion, I did find more people who were interested in deeper things, such as actually knowing their God or having an understanding of the Scriptures. In many cases, I just simply had to relate with people on the basis of, are you interested? Can I whet your appetite, per se, and share some things with you that you might find to be of value? And if not, then that's fine. We can either talk about something else or cut this conversation short, and you can go on and meet the next person who's five feet away. This is the way that I continued to live my life, And today, I continue to try to keep that focus, that the focus is not so much about trying to assemble as many people together in order to feel justified in what we believe, but instead to take the Lord Jesus, who is within us, with us, as we engage the world in our daily life, bringing him to them so that they may be introduced to him and may turn to him instead of to us. And so while we may certainly still feel relatively alone because people are turning to Jesus and not to us, that's fine because the relationship that we do have with our God is the true means by which we experience fellowship and completeness so that we will never feel alone because he who is the creator of all things, the maker of all things, and he who can truly love us and accept us in ways that no one else can is there with us in our midst, regardless of how many people are around us. And knowing this truth, I sincerely believe that we can always be encouraged and be complete. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net